I was told in between services that this table might fall apart if I don't lift it this way. Nobody told me that first service. So there we go. Uh, one more time since I'm up here and I get to see you. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to compliment all of you. You did a much better job of sitting closer to the front of the church than the 9 o'clock service did, so you're winning. Nice job. I think we have more people on the front than we do the back this service, so a little less Baptisty than the last service. Um, I've always thought that we should have, like, the, the, isn't it interesting that when you go to a concert or something, or like a football game or what have you, that we all just, like, race to get the best seat possible? In fact, not only do you race to do it, you pay for it a lot. Those seats back there, those are the cheap seats. People pay exponentially more to be up here, and then you come to church, and it's the exact opposite. They're all free, just so you know. These are not paid for reserved seating up here. Y'all can sit up here just as much as you want. So uh, if I have not had a chance to meet you before, my name is Brad Gottel. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I will readily admit to you that uh, I actually love doing this. I love being up here and speaking. I hate the prep work it takes to do it. Literally, I hate it. <laughs> I can, I'm not good at like writing stuff and like sitting down and like getting my mind to focus on one thing for a certain amount of time, let alone hours at a time, to be able to write a message that's cohesive and makes sense and you can follow along. And I'm not promising any of that this morning. I'm not saying that my message is going to do any of that. I'm just saying that I actually enjoy this. But it reminded me as I was going through it that some of the hardest things in life are the most rewarding and the most challenging. And as much as I really struggle to sit down and like, write a message. Uh, it is so enjoying on the back end to get an opportunity to share with you. And uh, so what I want to do this morning is open up in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to show up so that my words are his and not mine, because his are always better than mine. So why don't you bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we just love you and thank you so much for the opportunity to be in fellowship. Lord, you built us to be together. You built us to live life together. You built us to work together and not by ourselves. And on a Sunday morning like this, as we gather, Lord, it's just a really cool opportunity to rub shoulders uh, with like-minded people, with other believers, with other members of your kingdom. And I pray this morning that that is not lost on us, that we have the opportunity to have our cup filled uh, by our friends, uh, people to fellowship with, and we have the opportunity to fill other people's cups as well. And lastly, Lord, I just pray for your spirit to show up, Lord, that you just speak through me uh, and whatever you want uh, the congregation to hear this morning. And just for our time together, uh, Lord, that your spirit is here. We pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So <clears throat> this morning at the 9 o'clock service, I got to speak with some impunity because uh, my son was not in here, but he's now here at the 1030 service. And so I'm going to pick my words a little differently. But do you guys remember when you were kids the, how like there was this age, and, and maybe it's different for all of you, but... There was just this age where, as a kid, you're running around, you're doing all the things. And I grew up, like, the, my babysitter when I was growing up was outside. Anybody else? I, was, I don't even think we were allowed in the house. I was like the dog that got like, nope, nope. Until it's time to go to bed, you're not allowed to come inside. And even then, it was kind of a kennelish type scenario. Um, but outside was it. And the streetlights kind of determined life. Your bike, as far as it would go, kind of determined your boundaries, that kind of deal. And when you're a kid, you're like running around, doing all the things, and you're just outside, and you're just like, you kind of get gross. But it never really mattered. And then all of a sudden, there was just this day where you're like, it's the same day as it was before. I rode my bike 17,000 miles. I'm in the mud. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And all of a sudden, you're like, man, I stink. 
what happened? Like, I used to be able to do anything I wanted, nothing. Not nothing. And then all of a sudden, life catches up with you, and you start to go through puberty, and all of a sudden, you're like, man, I pay for this now. Now, every time I move or do anything, I stink. Now, I don't know how you were when that happened to you, but if it didn't happen to you, you're lying. (laughs) We all stink. (laughs) If you do not shower, and you do not change your clothes, and you do not take care of yourself, you eventually will end up stinking. And this would become an argument in our house because I'm raising boys. I've got two of them. They are 12 and 9. And the argument in my house is every day, I have to shower every day. Yes. Well, I didn't even play sports today, dad. I didn't have practice. I was like, I don't care. This is an everyday. Why do I have to shower every day? Because you stink. It's just part of being a man. It's part of being a human. It's part of growing up. There isn't one person that gets to escape this thing, right? That's exactly what we're going to talk about today. I know that's what you're expecting when you came to church. We're in the book of Ephesians if you've not been here this summer. If you're here, it's July 31st. It's nice outside. These are the people that don't have cabins. So make friends with each other, <laughs> right? You are it. Um, I said this in the first service. I moved to Minnesota 21 years ago. I grew up in Iowa. And uh, when I moved here, one of the things that absolutely blew my mind is you'd be like meeting random people and you're like, oh, what do you do for a living? They're like, oh, I work at McDonald's part time. Oh, cool. What are you doing this weekend? I'm going to my cabin. What? How do you have a cabin? Everybody here has a cabin. It doesn't matter what you do or somebody somewhere, somehow in your family got a cabin and now you got a cabin. Everybody here has cabins. That's not an Iowa thing. We don't play hockey and we don't have cabins. We wrestle and we stay home. (laughs) But we're in the book of Ephesians. We've been there all summer and we went through the first three chapters. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul is basically reminding the church in Ephesus what the gospel is all about. And that may seem kind of ridiculous for him to be in prison in Rome and kind of writing this letter. And he spent so much time in the letter kind of reminding them what the gospel message is all about. But you have to remember it was new. This was a new covenant. It wasn't like they were living under this covenant. These are Gentile people. They weren't even allowed anywhere near the temple or part of the church or anything like that. And he's writing to this church that's full of pagans and Gentiles and saying, hey, remember, this is the gospel message. Then we get to chapter 4, where Paul starts to get into, now that we are all on the same page and we understand the gospel message and we understand this covenant that we live underneath now, what do you do with it? What does that mean for you? How should you live your life differently? And this message that he starts to give that we're going to read together, starting in verse 17 of chapter 4, so if you brought your Bibles, you can take them out now and start turning to Ephesians chapter 4, is this idea or concept of what I talked about before, of the fact that when you get dirty and you, you know, you're messy and nasty, the, the, the vision that came to my mind is both of my boys are in baseball and I've spent so many hours at the baseball field this summer. And you have those days where like those tournament days where you got two or three games, you're there all day, sun up to sundown, and you get home and literally you are caked. You can feel it like on your skin. There's like, it's almost like an 80 grit sandpaper from all the dust and dirt from the baseball fields. And maybe you can't relate to that, but maybe, maybe you landscape or maybe you have a job where you get dirty or whatever it may be. But just those days where you're like, oh my gosh, I need a shower. I'm just nasty. But you don't get home and clean up by taking, like leaving everything on that you already have on and then just putting clean clothes over top of it, right? That doesn't work. My kids try that sometimes too. 
I'm clean, Dad. It's like, no, you just put a robe on. That's not, that doesn't work. You still stink. You need to completely get rid of the clothes you have on your body and completely shower off. And Paul's message to the church in Ephesus is that is how we are to live our life. You are supposed to completely throw off your old self and put on your new self. And then he gives instructions on what that is to look like. So let's dive in, starting in verse 17. In fact, the heading in my Bible, at least the NIV that I was looking at, the heading is Instructions for Christian Living. So let me, I guess, preface it by saying this before I read this. Two things. One, this is a long section of Scripture, so I readily admit that you're going to have to really arm yourself against your ADD and your mind going to what you need to be doing after church to stick with me here. But please try to stick with me. Number two, this is instructions for how you're supposed to live your life. So I feel like I'm kind of like the teacher or the professor that's up here basically kind of like, I don't want it to feel like a lecture. <laughs> you can kind of come off that way because it's, it's, this is how you're supposed to live your life. But uh, hang with me here and read through this. Starting in verse 17, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Remember, he's writing to mostly Gentiles. He's basically saying, don't live the way you used to live. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Not very Minnesotan of Paul to be writing to Gentiles and basically saying this, right? Not very passive-aggressive. Right to the point, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of of impurity, and they are full of greed. Oof. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. Remember, he just got done, the first three chapters, the gospel. When you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put off and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we're all members of one body. In anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must do work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice, and every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Lastly, but among you, there must not be any hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. You did it. Did you stay in there with me? Did you get it all? <laughs> Clear as mud? Should we just end now and go right back to worship? Did you guys know Brian Royal could dance like that, by the way? <laughs> Multi-talented. The guy can sing. He loves Jesus. He can dance. My challenge is to the rest of the worship band. I don't even think they're in here. I want to see the rest of them dancing. 
after I'm done. There's a lot there. But he starts by saying, you must no longer live like the Gentiles do. Now, he's painting with a broad brush here. He's generalizing, comparing, and contrasting kind of this typical pagan life versus the Christian life and saying, this is the way you used to live. Don't live that way anymore. You're supposed to live this new way. And then he starts to get into these instructions, which I will get into in just a second. But this goes back to that, that vision of taking off your old self and putting on your new self. Paul is saying, don't come home from a long day where you're dirty and dusty and nasty and just put on different clothes on top of the dirty clothes you already have on. No, 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 no. You were supposed to completely wash yourself clean of your old self first and then put on the new self, which when you think about it in terms of showering makes perfect sense. I'm not actually clean unless I start all over again. I don't know about you guys, but showering is like my, which is hysterical that I have to argue with my boys to shower. It's like my favorite thing to do. In fact, I, we, sometimes I'm in there for a very long time doing nothing. Because, <laughs> I mean, honestly, you can shower in 30 seconds, right? But I just sit in with my head down, my arms folded, and oh, I love it. Because you just get, it's just this feeling of cleanliness, of just being washed clean. Paul is saying that is what we're called to do, is to completely wash ourselves clean. The good news is, and the gospel message he just got done going through in the first three chapters is, we get to do that. The gospel message is that Jesus washes you clean, that your sins are removed from you, just like we sang about. As far as the east is from the west, you get to completely throw all of that stuff off every single day. It's interesting that Paul didn't just write this to the Ephesians. He wrote this also to the Colossians and to the Galatians. Other letters he wrote, which are in our New Testament. Same message. So it's not like it was just the church in Ephesus that was struggling with this idea of washing away their old life and becoming a new person. This was rampant in the new church. Not too long after Jesus had just died and resurrected and ascended into heaven. And it's still true to this day. We see it all the time in the church. I'm a Christian. I follow Christ but your old self is still there. Maybe you've taken Christ and wrapped him around yourself without getting rid of anything about yourself. You're the same person you were before Christ that you are today just with this wrapper or this coat or this extra layer of clothing that you put on top of your old self. If Paul were alive today, I'm sure he'd write the exact same thing to us as he was writing to the church in Ephesus. It's specific, it's practical, it's tangible, and it's advice that people can follow, who profess to follow Jesus, can take and apply to their daily lives. You have a new life. You're supposed to look different. You're supposed to behave different. You're supposed to act like a Christian and not a pagan. You should live differently, Paul is saying. Now, we all have times in our lives where we need to change. We all have, whether I could be you need to change a job, you need to change the way you treat your spouse, it could be you need to change the way uh, you eat, <laughs> uh, it could be a litany of things, but I know we've all had moments in life where like, you know what, I need to stop where I'm at and like literally turn around and go the opposite direction. I need to just stop doing what I'm doing. That is what we're called to. We are called to completely strip away the things of our pre-Christian walk and become a new person. Now, in this passage, Paul lists six things. I'm going to go through all six of them very quickly. What is interesting, though, and what I want you to know as we walk through these things, because this is, kind of, this is where it gets kind of listy and almost like I'm talking at you, but I'll 
two things. One, chiefest of sinners. I ain't any better than any of you. I struggle with all this stuff just like everybody else does. Number two, everything he lists is concerned with or related to relationships. The way that we interact with other people. How we treat other people. So as we go through this, I want you to think to yourself, um, to think about yourself and about people in general. And how does the average person in the world look at these things, think about these things, and what would a person who is fully committed to Christ, who had completely taken off their old self and washed all that clean and put on the cloak of righteousness in Christ in a meaningful way, what would they look like? How would they look different? Number one, he says, don't tell lies, but rather tell the truth. Well, that seems obvious, right? That's not new information to anybody in this crowd. Verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. I would argue this is the foundation to any good relationship, is being truthful. Now, a lot of us can have like this thought of like, well, I'm not a, I'm not a big liar. You know? I don't tell like big lies. For the most part, I tell the truth. But I think what is one of the biggest problems in our culture today and was fairly pervasive is these little white lies that we tell. <laughs> little half-truths. Or sometimes it's not even what we say, it's what we don't say. Because by not saying something, it materially changes the facts. And that is a little white lie. And what Paul is calling you to and what the gospel has called us to is to be truthful in all things at all times. The bar is higher today, I would argue, than it has ever been when it comes to this. And the reason for that is simple, because we live in a very connected world. We live in a world where everything that you say can be seen by almost anybody else. And so these little white lies that we tell about who we are, I <laughs> It's easier to fall into because you feel like you got to keep up with everybody else because it looks like everybody else is living the life of Riley. It looks like everybody else has it together. It looks like everybody else has things that you don't have. And so we start to tell little white lies to try to kind of keep up with the Joneses. The internet and social media and things of that nature have made it very, very hard to stay a foundational and truthful person. I didn't admit this in the 9 o'clock service because I wasn't big enough, but I'm, I'm, it's 10.30 now. I can do it. I almost told a little white lie to my, light, my wife last night as I was finishing my sermon. I literally, buddy called, said, hey, meet me here. I was like, okay, that means I have to leave the house. My wife's not going to be super keen on me leaving the house right now. What can I tell her? <laughs> how, what, what do I need to, like, how do I need to spin this to make it go in my favor? And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like literally going through this and I, I, anyway. I probably shouldn't have said that. Number two, don't lose your temper, but rather ensure that your anger is righteous. Uh, verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, first things first, anger in and of itself is not a sin. Any emotion that you have is not a sin. Emotions are not sinful. In fact, anger is an emotion we should have. We just need to delineate between righteous anger and non-righteous anger. The God that we serve, the reason that we sit here and give of our time on a Sunday morning has been angry. The Bible <laughs> tells us about God's anger and his righteous anger. 
One commentary I read phrased it this way. The verse recognizes that there is such a thing as Christian anger. And too few Christians either feel or express it. Indeed, when we fail to do so, we deny God, damage ourselves, and encourage the spread of evil. Oof. Here's what he's saying. There is a righteous anger and there is a non-righteous anger. The non-righteous anger seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? This is another area where I tend to struggle. Of all my emotions, anger is one of my bigger ones. <laughs> uh, if you were here like a month ago when I was preaching, I started off by telling you the story about how I woke up in the morning and I spilled my coffee grounds and then I spilled the water making the coffee and I lost my ever-loving mind. Because I don't just get angry with other people, I also get very angry with myself. Um, it is just something that I struggle with. That is not what I'm talking about. The, what I'm talking about with righteous anger and what this commentary was getting at is this idea that a lot of Christians are just kind of walking around like zombies because we have not torn off our old self and become brand new. If we were brand new and your mind was constantly centered on Christ and every single day you were taking that shower where you're renewing your mind every single day, whether that's being in the Word or being in prayer or just kind of centering your thoughts on Christ, this world would make you angry in a lot of ways. There's a lot you can look at and just get angry about or sad or frustrated. If there's nothing about this world that makes you angry, what they're saying here is we're missing out. You are not cleansing your eyes to see that of Christ. Because if you think that Jesus could come down here and walk this earth and not have some sort of righteous anger about some of the things that we do to each other, I think you're wrong. This ends by saying, don't give the devil a foothold. Now, I've preached on that very verse before to all of you. I expect you memorized that sermon, so I don't need to get into too much depth on this. It was a couple of years ago, I think. I actually couldn't even find it. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how long ago it was either. But I think it was pre-COVID. Everything in life is pre or post-COVID, right? So um, I think it was pre-COVID. But foothold, by definition, is a place where a person's foot can be lodged to support them securely, especially while climbing, or a secure position from which further progress can be made. So in other words, Paul is saying, do not let the devil have a secure position in your life from which further progress can be made in your life. How do you not let the devil have a foothold where he's got a secure position to then move forward tactically in your life? Anger. Holding on to anger. Unrighteous anger. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. This is one thing I... Struggle with anger, but one of the things that my wife is far better at than me, and that list is too long for this morning, is this. If we are in an argument, we're disagreeing about something, whatever it may be, uh, my wife is very, very good about making sure that before we go to bed and the sun goes down, that we resolve whatever issue it is that we're dealing with. And I cannot tell you how awesome it is to be able to shut your eyes and go to bed and not be in that state. It is, you guys, it is in Scripture that this is the way that we are supposed to live our lives. It's not just good practical advice. It's God's advice to you and I. Number three, don't steal. <laughs> Did you think that was the sermon you were going to get this morning? But rather, work and give. Some of this seems obvious, right? Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Stop it. But also, you must work. 
doing something useful with your hands, that you may have something to share with those in need. Now, the first part of this is the eighth commandment given to Moses, right? We've all had this kind of bash into our heads for a very long time. We know we're not supposed to steal, right? Don't go into the department store and just take what you want and leave. We know. Obvious. Don't steal physical goods and things. But Paul goes a lot further than that. Not only does he say not don't steal those physical things, but you need to work with your hands. You need to do something productive. So if you have a job, and at that job, you're stealing of the time, of what you're paid to be there, and you're using that time for personal ends, or you're using it to just dink around, or whatever it is, that's stealing. That's not your time. Somebody paid for you to be there. His point is, God gave you all gifts. Every single person in this room, every single person that God has created, which is everybody, by the way, (laughs) has gifts and talents. Not only are we called to not steal from other people, but we are called to use those gifts and talents to be productive. And productive to the point that you have so much that you have stuff to give to other people. Not just produce enough for your own, but produce enough that you can give back to those in need, that they may have something to share with those in need, is how he ends that verse. You are to work. Now, that doesn't mean Maybe that for you, that's not a eight to five W-2 job. That's not my point. Work means for the kingdom, for the purposes of the kingdom. You are to be active participants in the kingdom of God. And so much so that you have more than you need to give back. Number four, don't use your mouth for evil, but rather for good. Now, If I'm feeling this way, I'm assuming some of you are. I'm on number four on a list of six of things of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live your Christian life. And this isn't exactly the most like fun way to deliver a sermon. It's like the most uplifting. I'm sitting here giving you kind of rules. And so it feels a little bit icky. But at the end of the day, don't we all want a little more black and white in our lives? A little more like do this, don't do this. It's a lot easier that way. And a lot of that is in scripture. And so hang with me here on these last Don't use your mouth for evil, but rather for good. Verses 29 and 30, he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Anger is hard for me. This one might be harder. (laughs) My love language, I joke with people all the time, is sarcasm. If I'm not sarcastic with you, it usually means I don't like you. (laughs) This idea or concept of your tongue and how powerful your tongue is, is crazy when you think about it. We are, of everything on planet Earth that is living, you and I are the only ones that can communicate the way that we do. Human beings have this special talent of communication and language and logical thought. And with the same tongue that you praise God with, and you stand in church on Sunday mornings and lift your hands in praise and worship, we beat other people up. Don't just watch your hands, Paul is saying. Watch your mouth. (laughs) The word unwholesome here, by the way, or evil, as some translations use it, um, literally translated kind of means like rotten. Don't let any rotten talk come out of your mouths. A rotten tree is going to produce what? These are not rhetorical questions. We're in a list of rules here, people. 
you got to help me out. <laughs> Thank you. Rotten fruit. If you couldn't hear that when you're listening online, somebody actually answered me. There are people in the audience, I promise. Our ability to speak and communicate the way we do as human beings, like I said, is absolutely unique. And your job as a follower of Christ is to use that tongue that you have to edify others, to lift other people up, to further the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to go back to what I said before. I think that your tongue has more power today than it ever has because of the reach that your tongue can have with things like the internet and social media. And because of that, I would argue, I don't have scientific fact to back this up, but it seems hype, like extremely logical to me, we have more people in this country on depression medications, anxiety medications, and the suicide rate is higher than it's ever been. As the kingdom of people of the kingdom of God, of followers of Christ, your job is to use your tongue to edify other people. If we had the entire church running around edifying other people and speaking grace and positivity into other people's lives at all times, I think things would look a little different. Number five, don't be unkind or bitter, but rather kind and loving. <laughs> I know these seem obvious, don't they? When you read them, you're like, well, yeah, we know we're supposed to do that. We get it, Brad. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. <laughs> Don't hold resentments or have a resentful spirit. Don't have uncontrolled anger like we talked about before or non-righteous anger. Don't fight with each other in spiteful ways. Do not speak evil of other people. Do not partake in gossip or talk behind people's backs. And finally, do not have any ill will against people or plot any sort of evil against other people. Paul says all of these things need to be completely rejected. In other words, there is no excuse. You're never going to be able to look at Jesus and be like, yeah, 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 I know you said don't do that, but you're never going to believe what this person did to me. So it justifies my actions. My anger against them is justified. My, bitter against them is, my bitterness against them is justified. Me talking behind their back and gossiping about them is justified because you don't know what they did. Paul's gospel message and what, or Jesus' gospel message, which Paul is repeating in the church in Ephesus is, nope, total rejection. It is never okay. Instead, follow God's example. Follow Jesus' example. Jesus had all of that. People were talking behind his back. People were slandering him. They were doing all of these things. And his, re his response was to go to the cross. Number six, don't joke about sex, but rather give thanks for it. <laughs> but among you, there must not be any hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather there should be thanksgiving. Well, let's just throw a guest speaker up here and end on this little spicy note, huh? <laughs> when I read the text, and I'm like going through what they wanted me to preach about, I'm like, okay, okay, I got it. Oh. <laughs> Can we just end at the end of chapter four and not go into chapter five? Oh, my goodness. Um, 
Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to even do a dissertation on all things sex and what's acceptable and not. But I will say this. Sex is absolutely a gift from God. Can we all at least agree on that? You don't get to answer. You just have to agree with me because I'm up here and you're not. Um, it is. So now that we're all on the same page, let me ask you this. Are your children a gift from God? Is your spouse, are your friends a gift from God? How about your job or your talents or your resources or the time that you've been given here on this earth? Are they all a gift from God? Can you imagine using those things in a promiscuous way? Can you imagine using those things for yourself, edification and greed? The way that we tend in this day and age again to use things like sex and sexual immorality and things like pornography and sex before marriage and all this other kind of stuff, that's greedy. It's self-edification. It's the only reason we would do it. If that's the way you treated your spouse or your friends or your loved ones or your job, or your, you wouldn't have friends very long. You wouldn't have a spouse for very long. Your job wouldn't last very long. The bottom line is when you have a gift and you need to be in relationship with somebody, you need to pour back into them and not use it selfishly or for self-edification. All of these things are things we should be thanking God for regularly. All things we should hold in high regard, things we should fight for, things that we don't want to take advantage of, things uh, we don't want to use and abuse or speak unkindly about. All of God's gifts, including sex, are subjects for thanksgiving rather than joking or using selfishly. To joke about these things is to degrade them. To thank God for them is a way to preserve their worth as a blessing from our Creator. We were built for it, obviously. But like any gift that God has given us, it absolutely can be perverted. And so this is what Paul is warning about. Is as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you are called to a higher standard. And so as weird as this might sound, but I didn't give myself this topic, so it is what it is, you are to be thankful for it. And anything in your life that you add into your prayer life of I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for this, it is much harder to use that thing in a negative way or to degrade that thing or to you know just think of that as just part of life. It's not part of my Christian life. That's over here. That's just this. No, it's not. It's all wrapped in. And if you give it the weight it deserves, it changes everything about it. We are called to a higher standard. So we got through all six. Congratulations. There's only like four people sleeping, so we're doing pretty good. I'm going to invite the band back up. And as they're walking up, this is what I want to close with. What we all are are Christians, followers of Christ. What we believe, Paul went through in chapters 1 through 3. We believe in the gospel. We believe in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ and that he is our Savior. So now Paul launches in chapter 4 into, okay, if you call yourself a Christian and you say you believe the gospel, this is how you should behave. This is how you should look different. You should behave different. You should take off your old self, put on your new self, and guess what? We all stink. <laughs> so you need to do it every day. Every day. 
every single day, at least I hope for most of us, we're showering. Because we get it. We need to. It's part of the cycle. Ingrain in your mind that that is true of your walk as well. Every single day, you need to shower. (laughs) You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to stand at the foot of the cross and get on your knees and say, Lord, forgive me. The good news is the cross is there for you every day. The good news is there is forgiveness at the cross. There is grace and your righteousness can be restored. And he's going to give you a new set of clothes every single day. I'll end by saying this. You are supposed to look weird. You are supposed to look weird. You always, you've heard, you've heard that saying, you're supposed to swim upstream, those fish that swim upstream. Like, what does a dead fish do? They don't go upstream, right? The crazy fish that has the audacity to swim against the current stands out. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, you are supposed to stand out. You are not supposed to look like everybody else. You're not supposed to look like a Gentile anymore. And so of all six of those things, it's daunting to think about all of that and internalize it. So here's my challenge. Pick one and be different. Not just be different, be weird. Be the person whose words are so edifying that people look at you and think, goodness sakes, what is, why are they so nice? Why is that person always giving compliments? Why is that person always building other people up? Be the person that uses your time in a way that you're volunteering such crazy amount of hours or giving so much of your resources or money or whatever that people are like, gosh, that's different. That's weird. That doesn't make any sense. Be a person that actually holds in high regard the gift we have of something like sex and gives it the credit it deserves as a gift from God because that's weird in today's age. But we are not called to be normal. You should look different. You should look like the fish swimming against the curtain. So pick one of the six things and attempt to be weird. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we love you and I thank you so, so much that we have the ability to come to you every single day to take off our old self, to set it down at the foot of the cross, to wash ourselves clean through your grace and redemption and to pick up our new self and close ourselves every single day in your righteousness. Uh, So cool. Such an opportunity that we have. Lord, it is hard to swim upstream. It is not easy. Uh, It is not easy to look different. It's so much easier to just go with the flow, look like everybody else, kind of fit in and not be different and not be weird. But that is not what you've called us to. If we profess that we believe in you and that we want to follow after you, Our job as your people is to bring your kingdom here. And your kingdom doesn't look like this world, so if your kingdom comes, it's going to look weird. (laughs) So Lord, I just pray for the strength, the courage for everybody here to do just that. How cool would it be if Highlands Church was the talk of the town because of how weird we were? Um, We have an opportunity tomorrow to get together on an ice cream social and be weird. Um, So Lord, just give us our eyes to hear and and our minds to see how you would have that for us. What thing is it in our life that you're calling us to, to look different and to swim against the current? Pray in Jesus' name, amen.